Greetings and welcome to What is California, a podcast featuring conversations with notable Californians in a quest to understand the Golden State. I'm your host, Stu Van Aersdale. On this episode, we welcome Stacy Corliss. Stacy is the District 5 Supervisor on the Board of Supervisors in beautiful Mono County. She is also on the board of the Rural County Representatives of California, also known as RCRC, and recently concluded her year-long term as the chair of the RCRC board. You know, ever since this show started, I've wanted to bring on someone to talk about rural California, which I think is underrepresented in most media, especially those of us who live in the cities, the idea of a rural part of California, while we might visit it, we might see it, we might drive through it, we don't necessarily know what rural California stands for, what it means, uh, who leads rural California, who lives in rural California, what the issues are in rural California. And so I wanted to bring Supervisor Corliss on to talk about that uh, both demographically and just kind of as a phenomenon, like in spirit, what exactly is the rural part of California? Because it's a huge state and the rural part of the state makes up the vast majority of it, at least geographically. So we get into that a little bit. Now, to be clear, rural county representatives of California, what they do is they advocate for these rural counties in Sacramento uh, at the federal level as well. And just make sure they're advocating for the issues and the imperatives that affect constituents in rural counties around California. Those are counties with populations under 500,000 people. And that's a really important point to keep in mind here. Quote unquote rural is not to be confused or not to be perceived as synonymous with you know, sparsely inhabited or far flung. Uh, in the case of Placer County, which is adjacent to Sacramento County, where I am, a little bit northeast. You know, Placer County has some major cities, you know, uh, Roseville, for example, Rockland, Auburn. But those cities are just a fraction of this massive county that stretches all the way to the Nevada border and, of course, includes a big swath of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. It also includes parts of the state that are openly resistant to or even hostile to leadership in Sacramento. For example, if you travel up or down, I guess, I-5 or Highway 99 through California, the north part of the state or into the Central Valley, but primarily the north part of the state, you'll see signs and flags and banners for what's called the state of Jefferson. And it is, as we'll discuss in this episode, basically a secessionist movement from California. The folks who make up or have led that movement are among the constituents in these rural counties represented by RCRC. You know, uh, for decades, RCRC, its primary focus has been to advocate for those constituents' interests at the Capitol here in Sacramento and at the federal level, whether it's with water policy, uh, wildfire mitigation, uh, climate issues, any sort of support for infrastructure around the state, you name it. Now, obviously, those interests haven't gone away. Uh, they are as prominent, if not more prominent than ever. But there's also this added wrinkle now of populations within some of these rural counties that are averse to government at all. And we saw this most recently in Shasta County, where as of this recording, it looks like there was a successful recall effort in a February 1st election to recall Supervisor Leonard Modi. Now, Supervisor Modi was a nearly 50-year public servant in the city of Reading. He was a former police chief of that town, 
uh, a pretty steadfast conservative Republican, but candidates representing an even further right group mobilized a recall effort against Supervisor Modi. Uh, and uh, the idea was that, you know, Supervisor Modi and the Shasta County Board of Supervisors as a whole did not do enough to push back against COVID-19 protocols, policies, mask regulations and the like mandates that were set forth from Sacramento. Now, keep in mind, Shasta County never actually uh, went along with a lot of the mandates that were issued from Sacramento. But, you know, the idea was that the resistance wasn't active enough. And so there was going to be a recall. And now Shasta County, by all indications, will be led uh, by a majority that is aligned with a local anti-government militia. So there is that. What is that group going to do when the next pandemic comes or when the county is in need of disaster relief from the state or federal government remains to be seen, but that is the, uh, <laughs> that is the reality we inhabit. And so I wanted to talk to Supervisor Corliss about it. Now, for the record, obviously, Supervisor Corliss is one of hundreds of county supervisors up and down the state. She does not speak for all of them. She doesn't even speak for RCRC. I first discovered Supervisor Corliss through an op-ed that she wrote for CalMatters last fall about forest resilience and how the state can and should use some of its massive budget surplus to fund forest resilience and wildfire mitigation and prevention efforts uh, in rural counties. I'll add a link to that article in the show notes. I highly recommend checking it out. It's really good. I didn't realize we'd be talking about recalls when I first reached out to her. And I should also preface this whole thing by saying this is not strictly a conversation about, you know, right-wing politics versus, you know, California liberals. That's not it at all. That's just a part of this conversation. Uh, really, I wanted to talk to Supervisor Corliss about the whole expanse, the kind of vast uh, breadth of rural California and how it is led, how it is governed, and how its interests are looked after by her and her peers, and what that looks like, of course, in 2022. I just found this conversation really thought-provoking, and I appreciate the supervisor's candor and, of course, her time. She even jumped on a second call uh, to talk about the aftermath of the Shasta County recall and what it all means. And so, you'll probably notice a slight shift in the sound kind of texture. Not really the quality, but just the, the way it sounds. It was really important to me that we had the most relevant and uh, comprehensive conversation that we could have for you. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you have comments or questions or thoughts about this, I'd love your feedback. You can drop me a line at hello at whatiscalifornia.com. Or, of course, you know, shout us out on Twitter at whatcalifornia. And without further ado, here is me with Supervisor Stacy Corliss on What is California? Enjoy. Supervisor Stacy Corliss, welcome to What is California? It's great to have you here. Uh, before we get into your work and what you do, let's talk a little bit about your California story. Are you from here originally? Yes, I, I grew up in Southern California in Northern LA County, a city called Lancaster. And I, yeah, born and raised in Lancaster. Uh, I am a product proudly of um, the California public school system. I went to uh, UC Irvine for my undergraduate education and UC Berkeley for graduate school. Uh, and have, except for a, a 
brief time uh, doing a graduate fellowship in Germany. I have lived in the Golden State my entire life. How did you wind up in Mono County where you are today? Well, um, growing up in Lancaster um, in the high desert, we took ski trips to Mammoth Mountain. So, you know, uh, Mono County, uh, the biggest and, and biggest town and the only incorporated municipality is Mammoth Lakes, and it is the home of Mammoth Mountain Ski Area. So as a as a kid, I think starting uh, maybe in about second or third grade, we did family ski trips to Mammoth every year. And so it's a place I've always loved. Um, and I was, let's see, about 20, almost 25 years ago, I was in graduate school in Berkeley working on a PhD, but having a bit of a, I don't know, identity crisis, early midlife crisis, wasn't sure I wanted to go into academia. So I decided to take a break somewhere I really loved. And I came to Mammoth. I was just going to spend one semester, teach at the local community college, you know, and then regroup, go back. Well, yeah, that was 25 years ago. I, I didn't leave Mammoth. I did drop out of that PhD program. Maybe I'll go back someday and finish it, but uh, I've, I've been in, in Mammoth ever since. I envy you so much. I, I love that idea of just like, you know, in this program and then going somewhere and never leaving. And, you know, it's a it's a common uh, ski or mountain town story. Oh, I just went there for a couple months and never left. That's the way I feel about the North Coast, like Trinidad, Humboldt County up there. I go to the North Coast and I'll spend a couple of days and just kind of bump around. And I'm like, why am I going home? Like, why would I leave? You know, and then reality sets in and I got to come back. But one of these days, one of these days, Supervisor Corliss, I'm going to stay. I promise. Yes. Highly recommend. <laughs> so what is your earliest memory of California and why do you think that memory has stuck with you? I mean, it's so, so stereotypically Southern Californian, but I think I learned to swim when I was like one or even, you know, swim before I could walk type of thing. So I really, I, I have strong memories of being, you know, in our suburban Southern California swimming pool. But I also, in that same thinking of, of my childhood, I, I think of the desert. So Lancaster is, is, is the high desert. Uh, there are Joshua trees. And at the end of our street, um, you know, was it, it, it ended and, and west of it was was the desert. So I picture Joshua trees too. The most amazing memory and experience of my childhood that I revisit regularly is poppies. It's the home of the, the Antelope Valley State Poppy Reserve and just the the images of of the poppy fields as far as the eye can see. Uh, you know, with a background of rolling hills and a blue sky on the horizon. And, you know, that that was one of the most beautiful things about growing up in Lancaster in the Antelope Valley. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's like a super bloom, go, but it, it's worth it. You, it. It is, to me, a quintessential California experience, our state flower. And it also gets to just the troubles of, you know, bad land use planning and development because, you um, a lot of the area that's not in the state reserve has now been covered with uh, solar panels or just really the difficulty. It's like, oh, yeah, we need renewable energy. But oh, now we've paved over the poppies. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And the area of California where you are now, uh, I imagine there's been a lot of changes. What are some of the 
major or most noteworthy changes that you've observed during your time there? And how do you feel about them? Probably, you know, the, the, the biggest change I would say is with climate and also with visitation patterns, you know, uh, Mammoth and Mono County are, we're a tourism and recreation based economy. Um, people have come here to visit, to, to recreate, to ski in winter, to hike and fish and sightsee in the summer. And, um, you know, there've been changes in the, in those patterns The and, and you've, you've probably heard the same thing. There, there's been a lot written about the, the COVID travel boom in places like Lake Tahoe and, and Mammoth experienced that too. So I, I think probably if you looked at the data, I'm not sure it's actually an, an increase in the numbers of people who are coming you know, back in the eighties. I think the, there were more skiers than there, there are today, for instance, but it's, it's the change in use. Maybe people who are first time visitors to the mountains and to federal public lands. And so, um, you know, don't know the rules that we assume they should know, uh, that sort of thing. But the other change, I think, you know, with climate, and obviously, you know, l- looking at even 20 years is too short of a time frame to really get into climate change. But there is a difference um, in, and, and we've, we, we do have data around this um, from our local air pollution control district uh, with fire and, and wildfire smoke, um, you know, starting in maybe 2013, I would say for for Mammoth, we we start seeing more days impacted by wildfire smoke with poor air quality, and that's been you know as as everyone in California experienced the last two summers, um, you know diminished air quality because of wildfire smoke from mega fires. Twenty thirteen was the Rim Fire uh, outside Yosemite National Park. We're east of there, so we were impacted by smoke. Uh, 2015 big mega fires, you know, and then in the last couple of years, we were we were just uh, miles away from the Creek Fire, uh, which started near Shaver Lake in Fresno County across the Sierra Nevada, but but we are directly downwind from there, so it, it just really hazardous um, air quality due to wildfire smoke. We'll get to wildfires in a few minutes for sure. Do you have a favorite place uh, that you'd like to go in Mono County? that really kind of maybe epitomizes why you love where you live and where you are? Yes. And I am so fortunate to be able to say that this place is only about a five or 10 minute drive from my home, from where I'm sitting right now. And that is the Mammoth Lakes Basin. And it is the headwaters of the Owens River, which ultimately, of course, becomes a water source for the city of Los Angeles. It's a it's a lakes basin framed by granite, um, dotted with these beautiful alpine lakes uh, at about 8,500 to 9,500 uh, feet elevation. Uh, it's it's a beautiful place, and it's um, I can go up there. So in summer mornings, and I I know everybody thinks of Mammoth for skiing, but summer is really my personal favorite. On a summer morning, I can wake up and uh, put my dog in the car and drive the about seven minutes up the hill and take her to Horseshoe Lake, which is literally the end of the road. Um, from there, you could get on a trail. And um, if you walked south, you'd, you'd eventually, a little bit southwest, hit the John Muir and Pacific Crest Trail. And you could hike um, without hitting a road 
all the way down to uh, Walker Pass in Kern County. Uh, you know, I don't know how many miles that is. The John Muir Trail is a little over 200 miles. So that's the pass there without, well, maybe you could go, I may be overstating that a little bit. You could walk all the way to Kern County um, and at least 200, 300 miles without hitting a road. Before, you know, a, a day full of Zoom these days, um, I can uh, take my dog on a hike. I can go to the crest of the Sierra Nevada at 10,000 feet and, um, you know, just have this majestic view. And I just really think of this area as the, the heart of our state. It's actually not far from the geographic center of California, which is across the mountains over in North Fork and Madera County. But it really is the heart of it. It sounds from your enthusiasm and your affection for these spots, you just have this deep love for Mono County. And how did you get into leadership in Mono County? I I really gained insight into county government um, as as the executive director of an environmental nonprofit um, and really focused on stewardship and advocacy around public lands, around Forest Service Bureau of Land Management. Uh, in, in Mono County and our adjacent Inyo County, the vast majority of our lands are federal public lands. And so uh, the, the, the organization that I was leading um, w- was looking at a mining proposal outside of uh, Bodie State Historic Park, which is California's official ghost town, also something that is should be on the uh, bucket list for anyone who loves this state. So we were concerned about this gold mining proposal and the the destructive uh, impacts it could have on on public lands in Mono County. And one thing with that, we we needed to get the, you know, try to get the county supervisors on board to either oppose or express their concern about this project. Actually before that, I I was advocating for wilderness designation for some federal public lands in the county. We went to the board seeking their support for that proposal, which we got. And then same thing, then we were worried about this mining proposal a few years later, which um, ultimately the board that, that the board at that time um, expressed their concern about, and we were able to discourage the development of the, of this mine. This is presume days. This is, <laughs> and this is when public meetings, um, took place in person and you had to go to the county seat, which our county seat is Bridgeport and uh, go sit in the meeting and wait for the item that you're interested or the opportunity for public comment to come up. So you sitting there all of a sudden, you're like, wow, the, the, the county really does a lot that I, I wasn't paying attention to or was aware of health and human services, land use issues. Um, you name it. There, the, there's so much that counties do. Uh, so, you know, sort of filing that away, I developed a great relationship uh, with the then county supervisor in my district where I live. And when he announced his retirement in 2013, I started really thinking about running. And this probably happens to people who become elected officials all the time. You think, well, somebody needs to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's somebody. Is me. I guess it so, can be uh, me, yeah. right? Flash forward, it's 2022. And what issues or needs do you think your constituents in Mono County are most concerned with today? 
Well, today, you know, and, and Mono County is one of the, by population, smallest counties in California, the fourth smallest. We, we have just over 13,000 residents. But it, it's the same issues that impact L.A. County, San Diego County, San Francisco, Sacramento. Housing is, is a big issue. Homelessness, less so, I think, just because our climate is so harsh. It's, um, it's not a place where one can comfortably dwell outside year round, but but housing is 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 in crisis mode here too, as it is housing affordability and availability. You know, a big issue for us that again that areas like such as Lake Tahoe are feeling, but might not be there might not be as much awareness elsewhere in California. Really, is uh, sustainable tourism and recreation, and that is finding some kind of balance with inviting visitors here, using the public lands um, without damaging or causing harm to the infrastructure, to the wildlife, to the ecosystem, to the very things that are bringing people here in the, in the first place. This is a big concern for people in Mammoth right now. And, and it might be, I, I'm curious, does that resonate with you at all? I always wonder if people in urban areas of California really understand this. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think that you know, in California, there are so many places that you know, I always look to and feel almost like guilty for wanting to go there. You know, I feel a little bit of shame thinking that, you know, well, you know, I don't really want to impose. I don't want, especially during COVID. I mean, that was one of those things where everyone started to kind of like, you know, there's this exodus, this almost like diaspora from the cities. Right. And I thought, why are you doing that? I feel a little bit awkward about going there even as a tourist or a traveler, you know, on vacation. Is that, is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the thing is, I, I don't think I certainly, I don't want, we rely on um, right. tourism, tourism yeah, yeah. and visitation. Yeah. And also just the idea that, that the, the places people are coming to see are public lands. They, they don't belong to me just because I, live here just because of proximity they belong to all of us and and so we 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 have to do a better job of taking care of them of um you know building infrastructure that can support visitation um or coming up with systems that better manage visitation and so the balance right now for us is you know we've uh you know this is very government but you know we've created taxation mechanisms and ways to fund tourism marketing. Um, and, and what we're really hearing from our residents now is, hey, enough marketing. Uh, we need we need to take care of what we've got, and we want to see our local government invest in this community and the people here uh, with things like housing. So so it's a it's an interesting bout and and COVID is just the, another layer or or maybe it's the thing that really pushed everyone over the edge. How long have you been a supervisor? I was elected in uh 2014. So yeah, I'm going into my 8th year at the end of my second term. Let's pivot to wildfire, which you were alluding to earlier and um which you've written about and you've spoken about. Uh, the need for California lawmakers to invest in forest resilience. Uh, let's start with that phrase in particular, which you've used in some of your writings. How would you define forest resilience? So the word, instead of saying, you know, wildfire prevention, I think resilience is a better word because there's there's a recognition that we, we have to live with fire. Um, we do live with fire, uh, present tense, <laughs> past, present, and future. 
So, so how, so how do we build resilience? How do we harden our homes, prepare our communities, but also with, with forest resilience, the task that we're charged with is trying to get forests into a condition where fire is a natural part of the landscape, you know, basically over the, you know, this is something that's been written and talked about a lot over the last hundred plus years of settlement and development in California, we focused on suppressing fire. And that meant that the the forests weren't allowed to burn the way they had burned in, in the past or things like indigenous practices of using fire to better manage the landscape were not allowed. They, they, were, they were ended in the 19th century. So resilience is really getting our forests and our communities in a condition where we can live with fire as a necessary part of the landscape here in California. You did write recently in an op-ed for CalMatters that, quote, there is some hope on the horizon for wildfire resilience. What is that hope specifically? Well, part of that hope is money, <laughs> investment, uh, the state making just unprecedented investments in all things wildfire, billions of dollars. And, and uh, Governor Newsom just just uh, unveiled his budget proposal for 22-23 that had another, I think, $1.2 billion over the next two years for uh, wildfire resilience programs. Uh, you know, prevention, you know, tr treating forests and, and other landscapes, uh, investments in fire fighting. I mean, we still do have to do that. <laughs> so, so that is very encouraging. And the point that I was trying to make in the CalMatters op-ed was that these types of investments need to continue. It, it can't be one time because the type of work that needs to be done has to also be maintained. So for instance, here in Mono County, we are in the process of planning what we call a landscape level forest health project, 50,000 acres of forest service land that surrounds the town of Mammoth Lakes. Colloquially around here, we call it the Mammoth Donut because it's, you know, a big circle surrounding the town and the towns, you know, kind of right there in the center. So it's incredibly difficult. It's and it's going to cost something, some estimates up to $50 million to complete this work. And the idea is that we use a number of techniques, thinning, you know, mechanical thinning, prescribed burning, um, you know, on the ground hand thinning, of, you know, of, of certain parts of the forest all around the town so that when a fire comes, the severity will be lessened and uh, firefighters, should they need to, would be able to tactically, you know, use these cleared areas to protect the town. So it sounds like you are in support of that kind of growing call for controlled burns and fire mitigation or risk mitigation, I guess, that strategy. Yes, I it's um in my view when it comes to wildfire resilience it's yes and. There is no one thing that's going to do it. It's a it's a variety of approaches and strategies and we ha we have to do them all. And related to that, uh if if we're doing this this type of work, if we're doing thinning, clearing work, 
Um, we need to have a solution for what you do with this, with the materials, the biomass, the, the, the wood products that basically come off the forest. And right now in a, in a remote place like Mono County, I mean, we're, you know, we're a solid, uh, you know, a couple hundred miles from by highway from anywhere. Um, you know, there, there is no wood processing facility anywhere close to us. And there is, as, as, as is, you know, often been said, there are very few left in the state. Um, so what do we do with that material? You know, there, and that's, so, and that's part of the state's investment too, is to try to come up with innovative solutions to what you do with the products that are coming off the forest. Let's talk now about rural counties. You are the former board chair and still a current officer of the Rural County Representatives of California. Uh, before we get into what that organization does and your work with it, can you define a rural county for us? What exactly defines a rural county? For the Rural County Representatives of California, or RCRC is, is the acronym we use, According to RCRC's bylaws, there you know the strict definition is a county of uh, five hundred thousand population or less, which which seems like a lot, but you gotta you gotta keep in mind you know LA County has a population of ten million people, <laughs> and you know so some of the the bigger there there are many there are bigger counties big urban counties in California that have populations well over a million. RCRC's members include 38 of California's 58 counties um, across the state, all the way from Del Norte in the north to Imperial in the south. Our member counties make up 60% of California's land mass and thir only 13% of the state's population. Some other interesting statistics, nearly 75% of California's available water originates in the northern third of the state, which includes RCRC's member counties, rural counties, and 70% of the demand occurs in the southern two-thirds of the state and coastal areas. Aha. Uh -huh. And so RCRC includes counties like Mono that have very small populations, like you mentioned, but also it includes counties like Placer County, which is a pretty sizable county with you know some very large urban areas but also extends all the way to the Nevada border with just like totally uninhabited, like, you know, tens of thousands of acres, right? Yeah. And, you know, really RCRC came, came to exist um, to be really to advocate for the rural parts of California that may be less represented, for instance, in the state legislature, the, you know, state Senate and assembly districts are, are drawn by population. So that means, you know, in the rural parts of the of the state, we could have really large geographic area, but a really small population. So, um, you know, RCRC is kind of the voice, the advocate for California's rural counties in Sacramento and and really at the federal level as well, more and more. What kinds of things does RCRC advocate for on behalf of its members? Some of the big issues include water. You know, we have many of our member counties, their economy is focused on agriculture and farming. So water availability, also, you know, water protection, uh, many of the mountain counties that are the, the water sources for the state are our CRC members as well. So, uh, and obviously we've, we've talked a lot already about fire, um, 
the, most of the member counties have been heavily impacted by wildfire in the last few years. So that is a big issue as well. A lot of land use type issues are on the docket too, but also since counties um, really, you know, we're, the counties in California are arms of the state and, and really um, are the on the ground service providers of many state mandated programs such as health and human services. And uh, even though these programs have been developed with the best intentions for the well-being of Californians, implementation oftentimes looks a lot different in places uh, where there are big geographic distances between communities, places with lower population. Um, so RCRC also advocates kind of the, it just brings the rural perspective to really anything in, involving county government and you know, over the my time here as a supervisor, I've really learned that in general, I, most Californians don't have a good idea what counties are, are doing for them. And, and it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm really interested in the political spectrum that RCRC might oversee, because California is not a blue monolith. You know, you th a lot of times I think that, you know, obviously the stereotype is the rural counties or the red counties. And well, for the most part, that's probably true. Um, but yeah, but two of the littlest, Mono and Alpine, you know, we're the two of the smallest counties in the state are totally blue. <laughs> Mono voted no on the 2021 recall, for example. But Lassen County in the north went 84% yes. Modoc went 78% yes. What are both the mutual and competing interests or ideologies you're navigating in your role on the board of RCRC? What I had to do is find common ground. So I think finding common ground, um, let's say on an issue like wildfire, means you know agreeing on some core principles. And I, I you know, at RCRC, one could be we we agree that um, there does need to be active forest management. That we we don't support or sit back, wait and see what happens approach or an approach that says, oh, all we need to do is harden our homes and and let the rest, you know, go up in flames. So it, it's pretty easy to to come to agreement on issues like that. I think, you know, water is another, you know, another big natural resource issue and that's tougher. We, I remember last year we had a really interesting discussion, you know, RCRC staff brought to the board kind of a proposal for, you know, a portfolio of positions to take on water. And, and one of them was a water tax. Now I supported that as a, maybe as a Democrat, but also as a, representative from a mountain county, right? We're at the water source. The water, <laughs> we're always fighting with the city of Los Angeles about how much water they want to take from our region. So, but on our board, as I mentioned before, we, we have representatives who come from agricultural communities who are farmers. And so if you're a rice farmer in Calusa County, you you're not you're not so keen on that water tax. So that that for instance that was that was a proposal that that we had to let go because we couldn't reach agreement on. But 
you know, maybe there were other other water related issues that we that we could agree on, say the need for clarity and um, funding for local governments around the implementation of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. That would be one. It's like, okay, we can all agree on that. We we need help with Sigma. So how much of your role actually is getting RCRC members on the same page about the problems or even the causes of these problems? Like uh, you have cited climate change as an issue in wildfire spread and intensity. Does everybody see it like that? You know, I, <laughs> I'm not sure um, everyone does see it exactly like I, well, I know that, that everybody on our board uh, does not view climate change maybe as the, as the emergency and priority that I see it as, but they all recognize it exists. There has, there hasn't been, uh, you know, any pushback against using the, the term climate change. Because it seems like climate change and, you know, stopping and or, if possible, um, reversing the impact of climate change would solve a lot of the fire problems in California. I mean, it would take years, but like that's a strategy. That is as much a strategy, you know, maybe a long-term strategy as, you know, um, home hardening or anything else, right? Right. But I think that in rural counties is probably where the state sees resistance to some of the maybe more progressive strategies that are being taken, like uh, moving away from um, fossil fuels. And, uh, you know, for instance, legislation that that passed in 2021, um, banning the use of basically gas powered small engines, you know, there, there are a number of exceptions to that. But overall, you know, you, you will hear grousing, <laughs> you know, from rural counties who think, oh, how am I supposed to, uh, you know, manage my land and, uh, you know, operate my ranch without the use of these tools? Or how am I, if I live somewhere where I, where I drive 200 miles to the next community, how can I have an electric vehicle? But but will will these same representatives um, will these counties support implementation of electric vehicle infrastructure? Absolutely. But uh, one thing that chafes at rural county supervisors I, is this is this notion of unfunded mandates from the state that the state is going to impose regulations on us without giving us any resources to implement them. I'm wondering where RCRC and rural county leaders in general stand on something like the state of Jefferson, which is, of course, this idea of a movement to secede from the state of California, in mostly in the north part of the state and also in the foothills kind of east of Sacramento. If you drive up I-5, you've always seen those billboards or those flags or those bumper stickers. When you have an extreme ideology like that, where we don't even belong in California, I mean, there are some legitimate grievances there, because if you have a very conservative point of view, a very conservative political point of view, and you feel like you're not being represented or reflected in the state legislature in Sacramento, I could see why that might be a problem. By the same token, I mean, it's an anti-government movement, so I don't know exactly what kind of purchase a group like RCRC can actually have on a movement like that. What's your thoughts on that, especially where uh, something like the state of Jefferson or the ideology it represents, how that fits with the rural county representatives of California? You know, what you're saying is, you know, can RCRC sort of fill this gap? One thing, I talking about what people understand or misunderstand about rural California, I have learned so much in my time, I think my 
six years now, um, serving on the RCRC board, you know, developing relationships, um, getting to listen to and have dialogue with county supervisors across the state. Uh, you know, I, being a Southern California kid, I really, and even though I went to, lived in the Bay Area for a number of years, I really hadn't spent much time in the North State. And I still, there's still a lot of places I need to get to, but just with um, part, kind of part of the RCRC structure, you know, pre-COVID especially was whoever is the chair in, in any particular year hosts a meeting of the board in their county. So, in past years, I've gotten to go and spend time in Tehama County, in Humboldt County. We had a weekend in Death Valley, in Inyo County. Now, they're kind of my neighbors. I'd already been there. But getting to spend time on the ground in these counties uh, and really see what's going on is a big part of the experience. I had never, I mean, other than driving up I-5, I, I'd never stopped and spent time in Tehama County. And it was wonderful. I, It was a great experience, you know, just seeing the upper, you know, the Sacramento Valley, that, that's such a different part of California. But when it comes to, you know, kind of more some extreme uh, views, extreme kind of extremist groups, I have to say I, th that doesn't really come through in, in RCRC. I mean, no doubt there as an organization, they have to navigate a whole spectrum of political views. But what we've seen over the last couple of years, I'll just say it in, in a county like Shasta, really has been at its heart an anti-government movement rooted in cynicism and um, and, and mistrust of, of government, you know, of institutions. And I have to say that the, the majority of county supervisors I've met and, and worked with in this state can't support that. I mean, we, we got elected to provide services to stand up for the people in our communities. We didn't get elected to overthrow the government. <laughs> and, and what we've seen over the last couple of years really, I, I think, has, has pushed so far in that direction that, that they're not given a seat at the table. What do you make of the recall election in Shasta County and its results with Supervisor Moti being recalled by all indications? Well, I, you know, I, I have... Two, two reactions, um, and of one personal, just, just knowing Supervisor Modi, and you know, from my time as a county supervisor in California, being involved with our state association, which he's very involved in, it's just incredibly disappointing because he's someone I and I think many other county supervisors look to as a as a stalwart presence in our world you know he um you think of him as a as a really fine county supervisor who somebody who does his job really well and you know um it's kind of hard to make sense of because i think i i, I think of someone like supervisor modi as a as a strong kind of common sense and a conservative leader, um, and, and if so, if that doesn't match the county's values, what does? And and I don't have the answer to that question. I, I you know, I'm not there on the ground, but so that's kind of my personal reaction. And as a as a local elected official, it's um, I think what's been going on there is a is a little frightening because of the personal level of attack that's taken place on uh, uh, around 
the supervisors who've been the um, objects of the recall. When I look at this recall effort and the um, kind of the campaign and movement behind it, to me it's a big wake-up call to us uh, county officials that we need to do a much better job telling our residents and telling people in this state as a whole what we do and why it matters and why it's why it is nonpartisan. If you have if you have a, a board of supervisors that basically says, well, we don't think um, county public health has any value for our residents. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know where where that goes or how that ends. I, I, I guess we'll see. But um, I know, I, I think we have a call to action to, to do a better job of telling people what, why that matters. It sounds like you're saying we could have done better and you're taking some responsibility for this when in reality, like, was there anything that RCRC really could have done to stop a militia aligned group from overtaking the Board of Supervisors in Shasta County? No, I, yeah, there isn't. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. And, and by the way, just a point of clarification. So RCRC, of which Shasta County is a member, um, represents right now 38 of California's counties. We have a, a state association, this California State Association of Counties, that represents all 58. And that's that's the organization that Supervisor Modi has been involved in. But no, I don't think either of our state associations necessarily has a responsibility or, or has has had kind of a direct mission to educate kind of residents and everyday Californians about counties, really the, tar the, the audience for, our, for both organizations' outreach and advocacy, you know, primarily has been the state itself and to some extent the federal government, that, that they're advocating to the legislature or to state agencies and departments. So maybe that that's what needs to change is that we ha we need to realize like hey, <laughs> we we need to undertake a a campaign to to help people understand what counties do and why it matters. So instead, you're talking about enlightening and I guess educating residents of these counties instead of legislators based in Sacramento or Washington D.C. Yeah, because with education, um, in firmly in place, we could build more trust. And I'm not blaming the people here. I, I'm not. I, I don't want to sound like, you know, I, I kind of right. hate when people do that. It's like, yeah. well, if they, if these people just hadn't fallen victim to the misinformation, this wouldn't have happened. Exactly. You know, but it's, it's obviously more nuanced than that. But that if there were kind of a better, more engaged relationship on both sides, it would be a lot harder for a militia group and, the, you know, an outside um, influencer and funder to come in and, and win the hearts and minds and, and turn people against someone who, you know, a, a decades long resident and public servant. Are you surprised that Supervisor Modi was recalled? Honestly, yes. It's, it's just, it's just really, I, I guess I was surprised because I really, in my heart, I, I wanted to believe that, that this would not happen. I know you don't speak for Shasta County supervisors, but what is the vibe you're getting from Shasta County right now? My contact is, has, has only been with two of the supervisors, two of whom were under attack from the group that apparently successfully initiated this recall. It's pretty grim. Um, you know, feelings of, of, again, being personally attacked, fearing for, for their own personal safety. 
And you know, these from just imagine a place you know that that's your home that that you li- you've lived maybe your entire life, certainly your entire career. Um, raised your family there, have deep ties to the to this community, and to have to suddenly have that turned around and to be ripped apart from that it, it has got to be just incredibly traumatizing and sad. And I, I just, I can't imagine that anyone on either side of this thinks this is, this is the, the best way to govern or this is the best way um, for a county or a community to determine its future. So in your work on the Board of Supervisors in Mono County and with RCRC, who are some of the Californians whom you've met or encountered who've really stuck with you and why? I guess what compels you about them or their lives? There, there are just so many good people across the state. But uh, my friend and mentor, Tim Alpers, um, I, when I started on the Board of Supervisors, he was in his third kind of non-contiguous term on the board. His family comes from a ranching family that settled in Mono County in the 19th century. And um, he, you know, again, we're a recreation economy. Um, fishing is a big deal here. And he got into the fish rearing business and, and, you know, raised a special type of trout that was planted in the waters, not only here, but elsewhere in the state. People locally who have really changed my perspective and the way I view the world are uh, members of our Native community. Uh, Charlotte Lang, who is the uh, chairwoman of the Kutzetika tribe uh, at Mono Lake. A woman named Kathy Jefferson Bancroft, who's the tribal preservation officer for the Lone Pine Paiute tribe, uh, fighting for um, Owens Lake, of course, which is was drained dry by the city of Los Angeles Department of Water and Power but contains um, the history of, of her people and just really fighting for, for its preservation today. Um, and a woman named Jolie Varela, who leads a group called Indigenous Women Hike. They're, they're really, they're activists trying to, to reinstate Indigenous people's rightful role in the, in the present day and, and history of this state. And, and I am thankful to them for their work and just for talking to me and teaching me. We end every episode with the same question for all guests. Who is your favorite Californian, past or present, and why? You know, so I I might have to cheat on this a little bit, and I hope that's okay. My favorite Californian is my husband, Ron Cohen, who, like me, is a Southern California kid who was a product of public schools, became a lawyer, ditched the law to run a a resort, uh, you know, some cabins on the edge of Yosemite National Park, um, and and now uh, runs Mammoth Mountain Ski Area. Uh, to me, that's a that's a California story, just like my family's. My parents came here from other places, sight unseen. I have a great aunt who was came from Arkansas to to Long Beach to be a Rosie the Riveter, and ended up falling in love with Yosemite. You know, so those are my like sort of the category of favorite Californians. Who, who, like me, um, came to the Sierra Nevada and just fell in love. 
so here's my here's my cheat. My probably my favorite Californian, the most symbolic Californian, is not a person, but a tree, and that tree is named Methuselah. Methuselah is a an ancient bristlecone pine in the ancient bristlecone pine forest um, here on the Inyo National Forest. I believe the tree itself is actually in adjacent Inyo County. Um, it is the oldest living thing on earth. I thought the I thought calling your husband your favorite Californian was the cheat. Well, that's all I know. It's but the cheat is actually referencing a tree. Yes, and not a human. I mean, and I don't know which exactly which tree Methuselah is because when you visit the ancient bristlecone pine forest, um, the tree isn't identified. It's not like going uh, to Kings Canyon and seeing the General Sherman tree that's labeled. Uh, for the tree's protection and safety, um, land managers have left its identity uh, unknown among the forest of ancient bristlecone pines, which are majestic living things. Um, but to me, Methuselah, to have in our state the oldest tree um, really, you know, speaks to our our resilience as Californians. I love this. I'm looking it up right now. 4,789 years old. Methuselah, a bristlecone pine. Now, hold on a second. Wait a second. Hold, whoa, 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 whoa. That's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture was 4,789 years old. But I'm looking here. I'm just clicking the Wikipedia entry. It says 4,853 years old. I'm going to do some serious fact checking. Somewhere around 5,000 year old tree. So I think it deserves to be, this tree could be my favorite Californian. Supervisor Stacy Corliss, thank you so much for being on What is California? It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And that's a wrap on this episode of What is California? Thank you very much to Supervisor Stacy Corliss for joining me. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in once again. I appreciate all you've done to share and boost the signal of this humble undertaking from beautiful What is California headquarters. I will be back with you next week with another fantastic guest. What is California is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Stu Van Aersdale. Our theme music is by Sounds Supreme. You can find us on Twitter at WhatCalifornia and subscribe to the newsletter on Substack at whatiscalifornia.substack.com. That will get you a free podcast in your inbox every Thursday and a very enlightening roundup of weekend links, cool California stories in your inbox every Friday. You can email me anytime at hello at whatiscalifornia.com. Send me comments, questions, thoughts, concerns, hate mail, love notes, all of the above, or something else I haven't thought of, just email me. I'd love to hear from you. If you are feeling especially generous, you can support What is California on Patreon at patreon.com slash whatiscalifornia. You can chip in a few shekels to keep the cloud servers running, keep our headquarters cat fed. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked What is California, I would really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts because it helps new listeners find us. And that is going to do it. Thanks again for listening. I will catch you next time. Until then, remember, as always, keep your eye on the bear.